moment this morning, turn our hearts and our attention to the Word of God. I, I've never had such a hard time putting my thoughts on paper. I'm not sure that I have. I was asking God this morning to take my thoughts and allow me to be able to put it on your heart. That's more important to me than having it on paper. I started studying early Thursday morning, getting ready for today, and uh, just so many thoughts and passages of Scripture was on my heart. Struggled to know exactly what direction to go in this morning, but I believe that this is what God has for us. Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews 11. Let's start in Acts chapter number 7. The Bible says in verse number 20, in which time Moses was born, was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. I'm going to stop right there, and we'll get into Hebrews in just a minute. I want to preach this morning on this thought, leaving Egypt. Leaving Egypt. Lord, help us this morning as we open the scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be able to convey to your people, Lord, the burden upon my heart. I pray for anointing. I pray for unction and your touch and your power. And may God's people get help, benefit from this message, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> we could have gone over to Exodus chapter 2 and read some verses. In the passage this morning in Acts 7, Stephen's preaching to the council and is doing a brief history lesson of the nation of Israel and made some very interesting and enlightening remarks and comments about Moses in that message. In Hebrews 11, which we'll get to in just a few minutes, there's another Several verses that talk about Moses and the faith that he had demonstrated. But when you take the, the clues from Exodus 2 and Acts 7 and Hebrews 11, you kind of start to put together an interesting portrait of a very interesting and a key Bible figure. That is Moses. We don't know a lot about his childhood. We don't know a whole lot about his his early days, as I said, we get clues, we get insight. He had a very interesting upbringing. If we go to Exodus chapter number two, we find out that he had uh, an unusual set of parents. And we get to Exodus two, we notice that, if you remember the story, how that the king, Pharaoh, had decreed that all the children be put to death. Jochebed, as we learn later, his mother's name was, uh, she had other plans. She built an ark of bulrushes and pitched it within and without, and she laid baby Moses in that ark and laid him and put him in the water. We know the story how that 
through a set of divine sovereign circumstances, God allowed that little ark to be navigated over to a place where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. She heard the baby crying and saw the baby, took the baby out of the ark and as instructed Moses' sister Miriam, who had been watching this series of events unfold, approached the Pharaoh's daughter and said, would you like for me to find someone to nurse that baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, sure. So the Bible tells us that Pharaoh's daughter paid Moses' mother to feed him. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter number two that the child grew in verse chapter two, verse number 10, and then she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She called his name Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. That's a quick summary of Exodus chapter two, verse one through verse number 10. When we get to Acts chapter number seven, we find that uh, Moses at the age of 40 made a life-changing decision. It's interesting because Exodus chapter two and verse number 11 says it like this, and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren, looked on their burdens, and spied an Egyptian, smiting an Hebrew. You get to Acts chapter seven, verse number 23, the Bible tells us that he was 40 years old when this occurred. I preached a message years ago on the day Moses grew up. And he was 40 years old when he grew up. Hebrews, Hebrews says that when he was come to years. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get distracted. You can be saved six weeks, six months, or 40 years. But there are certain characteristics that set you apart from a babe in Christ. Moses was 40 years old before he ever grew up. When he was grown, Exodus 2, Acts 7, he was 40 years old. Is everybody still with me? And then I've got, I've, I've got, I've got so much I want to try to cram in, in here. Uh, Hebrews eleven twenty four 24, by faith Moses when he was come to years. So those are the three different ways that it's described, but he was 40 years old when something major happened in his life. I have, been, I have been trying to get my head wrapped around exactly what it was that happened. The Bible says it like this in Acts 7 and verse number 23. When he was full 40 years old, watch this, it came into his heart. That's what it says. Something happened when he was 40 years old that the Bible can only describe or only describes, or God only chose to describe it as it came into his heart. Now, as a pastor and as a parent, I'd love to get my head wrapped around what happened right here. I'd love to figure out exactly what took place. I feel like I'm piggybacking off the message a few weeks ago about the prodigal son when he came to himself. Is anybody else feeling that same vibe this morning? I don't know exactly what took place in Moses' heart. The Bible just says when it came into his heart. Something happened in his heart that changed him. We see almost exact 180 in every area of his life. And we're gonna to get to this in just a minute, but as I begin to try and dissect and understand this statement, it came into his heart. 
I began to ask myself, what was the it that came into his heart? It came into his heart. Is that what your Bible says in verse 23? When he was a full 40 years old, it came into his heart. What came into his heart? Something big. Something big happened. God began to do something down deep on the inside of Moses that can't even be defined or described or explained except by the phrase, it came into his heart. I began to ask myself, could it have been a, a realization of the injustice of Pharaoh that came into his heart? For 40 years, no doubt, he saw and heard about the hard bondage. If you see in Exodus chapter number one, the Bible says that there was a new king that rose up over Egypt in verse eight that knew not Joseph. The Bible says that in verse number 11, they did set up over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. Verse 12, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. They were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. The Bible says in verse number 11 that they afflicted them and caused them to build for Pharaoh treasure cities. These were years and years of hard labor in the making. This was what was going on when Moses was born. No doubt this was going on years after Moses was born. No doubt Moses saw this taking place, the injustice of Pharaoh, and no doubt he heard about the mass slaughtering of the children in Exodus chapter number one and verse number 22, of which he was spared thanks to his mother. No doubt he heard these stories. No doubt he knew about this for 40 years, but maybe he just never really saw it and thought about it till he was 40 years old and then it came into his heart. Maybe that it in Acts 7 was the realization of the injustice of Pharaoh. Maybe secondly, it was a recognition of the infirmities of his people. Maybe he had heard them crying. No doubt he had heard them weeping. No doubt he had heard the wailing and had heard uh, uh, of the, the, the pain that was on these people for all these years. He had heard it. It had gone in one ear and out the other. But when he was 40 years old, maybe he heard it for the first time and saw it for what it really was. When you get over to Exodus chapter number three, God says, I've seen the affliction of my people in verse seven and I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. So we know that the people of Israel were crying out in pain and the affliction and the abuse that they were dealing with, but maybe Moses had never seen it or heard it till he was 40 years old and then it came into his heart. I don't, I don't know exactly what the it was. Maybe it was a realization of the injustice of Pharaoh. Maybe it was the recognition of the infirmities of his people. But I can't help but believe that it was probably a remembrance of the instruction of his parents. When the Bible says it came into his heart, what came into his heart? Something came into his heart. I have to conclude that something that was said or done in his early years when Jochebed still had him and was nursing him, or as the Bible says, nourishing him, I have to believe that something was said or done that stuck out in his mind that came back to him. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse number six, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. We know that Jochebed only had him for just a short time. The Bible says she had him till he was finished being nursed or weaned and then she gave him over to Pharaoh's daughter for nurse, Pharaoh's daughter to then take and nourish him. By the way, there is a nourishing 
of, of, of Jochebed, and then there's the nourishing of Pharaoh's daughter. He went from one to the other. Drastic change in diet. Can we, can we agree on that? He went from the mother, the breast milk of his mother to the, the can we say it? The, 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 the leeks and the garlics and the onions of Egypt. Did he not? That's a pretty drastic diet change. His mother nourished him till he was weaned. Two, three years, maybe, four at the most. She had him those few formidable years and then she passed him off. The Bible says she gave him, she gave him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And for 40 years he lived in the palace, presumably. We have to assume he lived in the palace. We have to assume that he was uh, there and the Bible tells us that he was brought up in the palace and brought up in all the wisdom and all those things of Egypt. But at the age of 40, it came into his heart. What a statement. I begin to look at this relationship that he had with his parents because there was something different about Moses' parents. In Exodus chapter number one and two, there were a lot of Israelite children that were, that were killed. There were a lot of Israelite parents that allowed their children to be killed. But there was something different about Moses' parents. Is everybody still with me? I may or may not get to my message this morning. I got to bring you along on this train of thought that I've been on for a couple days. I begin to look at his parents and I realized that in Hebrews chapter number 11, just keep your Bible open these two places because I've, I've been flipping back and forth for two days. These two places, just keep cross-referencing them. Hebrews 11 verse 23, by faith Moses when he was born was hid three months of his parents. I want you to notice a couple things about his parents. We'll get to the outline maybe in a minute or not. Just listen. We'll see the protection of his parents in Hebrews eleven twenty three. The Bible says Moses when he was born was hid. We need more parents today that will hide their children from the dangers of Egypt. Amen. We need more parents today that will that will that will make the effort that will make the effort to protect their children and hide their children from the death sentence that has been pronounced on them by Egypt. Hardly a week goes by, but what I don't see another headline about the government schools and what they're doing, the brainwashing institutions. And I've said it before and I'm gonna say it again. I don't care who defends anymore, it don't bother me anymore. I live in a cardboard box under a bridge before I put one of my kids in public school. I, I wouldn't do that to my dog. The filth, the garbage, the perversion, the transgender, same-sex marriage philosophy and agenda that they're shoving down throats and the sex education and the, and, the, and the Marxism and the socialism and the anti-God and the anti-Bible and the anti-America agenda that they're shoving into the hearts and minds of our children today. I wouldn't do that to my dog. So preacher, that's pretty harsh. If I could find a harsher way to say it, I would say it, but I can't think of one right now. That is how dogmatic I am about hiding my children from Egypt. I would rather throw them into the Nile River to get eaten by crocodiles than to put them under some kind of professor or some teacher that will undermine everything that I've done and said to them for their whole life. Amen. 
Moses' parents protected him. All the other parents just let them walk in and take their kids and throw them in the river. They let the soldiers come in with their swords and decapitate and kill their children. And Moses' parents says, not my kids, you're not. Not my children, you're not. They hid him. We see the protection of his parents. We see the perception of his parents. The Bible says in verse 23, because they saw that he was a proper child. They saw that he was a proper child, a baby. They saw something in him that nobody else saw. I know everybody's partial to their children. I know everybody thinks their children is the cutest and the sweetest and their grandchildren is the beautifulest and the prettiest and the, and the most smart and the most intelligent. But they saw there was something in him. And obviously they were right. But I put a note here, proper children need proper parenting. How many proper children have never been able to grow up proper because their parents weren't proper? Proper children, this is going over like a lead balloon this morning. Are you raising your children to be godly parents one day? It starts when they're babies. Are you raising your children to be leaders in the church one day? Are you raising your children to be God-fearing Christians? Are you raising your son to be someone that one day God can put his hand on and call into the ministry? Are you raising your daughter to maybe one day be a preacher's wife? It's so quiet in here, you could hear a cough drop. Is everybody okay? Protection of his parents. Perception of his parents. By the way, they didn't see athletic potential. They weren't looking for athletic potential. Come on now. If I have to say everything two or three times, we're going to be here all day. They weren't looking for athletic potential. Where, where did we get to the point to where we think athletic potential is just the greatest attribute in a child? They can, they can swing a bat. They can shoot a three-pointer. They can run a football. Show me in the Bible anywhere where that's emphasized or encouraged or even commended. Bodily exercise, the Bible says, profit little. Now, don't get me wrong. We had a softball game Friday night, and I was aggravated at how many of these boys didn't know how to hit a softball. Brother Leader's little girl hit it further than some of these boys. There ain't nothing wrong with knowing how to do that stuff. It has its place. But if you spend your child's 18 or 20 years or they're in your home cultivating and pushing and preparing them to be an athlete, you have failed as a parent. At the judgment seat, he's not going to ask to see your trophies. He's not going to ask to see all of your ribbons and all of your medals. When you get to stand before God, he's only going to be interested in your spirituality. Not the athletic potential, not the academic potential. And there's nothing wrong with being smart. There's nothing wrong with trying to be smarter. 
There's nothing wrong with trying to have good grades and be well read and be well versed. There's nothing wrong with wanting your children to study and apply themselves. There's nothing spiritual about being ignorant. But if I had to choose between being ignorant in academics, but knowing God, knowing God's presence and God's touch, or being a genius with four or five earned doctor's degrees and not believing God, knowing God, I would choose what Paul said any day. God chooses the weak and the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. When you get over to Acts chapter number four, you know what they figured out about Peter, James, and John? That they were ignorant and unlearned men, but they took notice of them because they'd been with Jesus. We need to teach our children what it means to know God and walk with God. They weren't seeing athletic potential or academic potential. They weren't looking for financial potential. I know parents, a lot of parents have got it figured out. If they can get their kids positioned just right and invest in them when they get an education, get a good degree, get a good job, then maybe one day they won't have to die in a nursing home. They'll have kids that can take care of them. It's all about getting that kid positioned financially for his future. If you're not careful, you'll raise, you'll raise a fool. That'll wake up every morning saying, I need, to, I need to build bigger barns. I've been so successful and so prosperous, I need to build bigger barns. And God said to him, this is what God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We gotta be careful as parents that we don't, we don't, we don't emphasize the potential in areas that God doesn't place emphasis on. Is everybody still okay? I'm not knocking having a good education. I'm not knocking having, having athletic ability. I'm not knocking having a good job and making money and having nice stuff. I'm saying make sure that when you look at your children, you see that they're properly trained in the things of God. First and foremost, Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. They saw he was a proper child. They weren't looking for political potential. They was looking for spiritual potential. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not sure where, but I'm getting there in a hurry. We see the protection of his parents. We see the perception of his parents. They saw he was a proper child. We see the principles of his parents in Hebrews eleven twenty three. They were not afraid of the king's commandments. Why? Because they were afraid of God's commandments. They were people of principle. By the way, in 2021, you're going to have to decide, do you fear God's commandments more than man's commandments because those are two different things. They had the fear of God, not the fear of the king. They stood on principles. They were moved to follow God's commandments, not the king's commandments. The king, if I read it correctly, in Exodus Chapter number one, the king charged all of his people. Verse 22, saying, every son that's born you shall cast to the river and every daughter you shall save alive. We got a group of Christians today that if the White House was to issue that statement, they'd still be quoting Romans chapter 13. Come on, you can say amen. You know I'm telling the truth. Well, our elected officials, the Supreme Court said this, Congress said this, they said this down at the state house in Annapolis. We don't have a choice. Excuse me? 
Excuse me? Say that again real slow. I didn't hear you the first time. The Bible's filled with illustrations of people that had to stand on principle many times and break the law and go against the king's decrees in order to do it. Still can't get over how many people chirp, chirped in, chimed in. Last year when our church decided we were going to reopen, we never shut, but I mean, you know what I mean when I say reopen, I mean open doors let everybody come in. I was amazed at how many preachers started quoting Romans 13 to me. Right. Supposed to obey all ordinances of man. Supposed to do it, supposed to do what all the, uh, the, 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 the leaders say and all the, uh, the city council say and the health department says, you got to do what they say. Romans chapter 13, Paul said this. I said, you do know Paul spent much of his ministry in prison for civil disobedience, don't you? I hate to be the one to pop your bubble, but hello, Tokyo. God's people many times have had to choose who they're going to follow. Daniel would have, been, Daniel would have stopped praying if he'd have followed the... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have bowed down to that image. Exactly right. What am I saying? I don't know. I'm saying Moses' parents were people of principle. The principles of his parents. But then I saw this. I still ain't got to my message yet. May not get to it. I saw something, I saw something in Acts chapter number 7 that blew my mind. The Bible says in verse 23, when he was full 40 years old, he came into his, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Look at verse 25. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Then the next day he showed himself at them as they strove. All that's in Exodus chapter 2. I don't know that I've ever seen it quite like this before, but the Bible tells us according to Acts 7 and verse number 25 that when he smote that Egyptian, he just thought and supposed that all the nation of Israel was going to accept him as the deliverer and they didn't. My question is what made him think that he would be the deliverer? I don't know, except that maybe, write this down, maybe it was the preparation of his parents. We see the protection of his parents. We see the perception of his parents. We see the principles of his parents. But maybe, just maybe, when his mama had him those few years, while he was being weaned, she was singing to him, I was born to serve the Lord. Maybe she was whispering in the ear, God's got something big he wants you to do. God's got big plans for you. Live for God and serve God and remember all these things that I'm telling you because God's going to use you one day. I don't know why he would suppose that he would be the deliverer 40, 40 years before he actually became the deliverer. Am I still right? Unless his mama and his daddy had put that idea in his head. I'm going to just let that, let that simmer on the back burner for just a second. 
You know, it's amazing. Of course, later when he was 80 years old, he tried to talk God out of it. God had to knock, knock the bark and the rough edges off of Moses, had to humble him. He had to put him over a flock of sheep for 40 years to teach him how to be a shepherd to another flock, the people of God. See, he went from being a murderer. By the way, he killed that man and buried him in the sand. <laughs> he went from being, a, a, he went from being a, a, a cold stone killer, a murderer, to what the Bible says was the meekest man on all the earth. Are y'all following me? Is my train going too fast? We need to slow down. The Bible says this, that he was the meekest man on all the earth. Look it up. In, it's in parentheses. But he wasn't, he wasn't in this story. Was he? I love you, buddy, but I'm just to break your neck and bury you in the sand. He killed him. And when he did... In his mind, that was the launching of his role as a deliverer. Where did he get that idea? Am I reading too much into this? For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. Forty years later, God says, now you can go deliver them. And he's like, who, me? Not me. You don't want to send me. You got the wrong person. But in this, but in this passage of Scripture right here, he thought, he thought it was time. What am I saying? I'm just saying that I think maybe the mom and daddy put some seeds in his mind. God's got something he wants to do with you. I wonder if we're doing that to our kids. I wonder if we're planting seeds in their mind. God's got something big he wants to do with you. God's got something he wants to do with you. God wants to do something with you. God wants to do something amazing with you. But we get to verse 23. I'm out of time. I hadn't even gotten to my message yet. Bible says in verse 23, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. God did something in his heart. There, there are days my wife and I talk. We talk about our kids. We talk about our young people in our church. It breaks my heart to see them being nourished on the sincere milk of the word, that little short window that we have when we have them. And we get to, we get to set their diet. I'm, I'm back now talking about Jochebed now. She had just a small window to, to invest and pour into her son before Egypt got their hands on him. By the way, Egypt's still clawing and scratching for your kids. What scares me is how many of the parents are opening the door to Pharaoh's army and saying, come on in, you can have them. Pastors trying to throw up a flag. Youth pastors trying to throw up a flag. School teachers are trying to throw up a flag. Every evangelist and missionary that comes through here trying to throw up barriers and barricades and the parents are pulling them out of the way so that the Pharaoh's soldiers can get to their kids. Right. Amen. Exactly right. We've got a short window, parents. Short. Right. We've got to get our head out of the sand. 
I'm going to give you four points real quick. Can you handle it? Real quick. I'm going to throw these at you. When you leave Egypt, it'll be obvious by four things. Write this down in Acts chapter number 7 and verse number 24. And seeing one of them suffer wrong. Let's back up. When he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him. And avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Write this down, number one. Leaving Egypt will be obvious by who you defend. He's now defending the very people he's been oppressing. He's, he's been a part of this machine. He's been a part of this regime that has inflicted and afflicted and oppressed the children of Israel. But one day it came into his heart and for the first time he started defending the very people he had been against. That's a sign you're leaving Egypt. By the people you start defending. Come on now. I wish I had time to go to Philippians chapter number one. Twice in Philippians chapter number one. I think it's verse seven. I think it's verse 17, but don't hold me to it. I believe in twice in Philippians chapter number one, the apostle Paul talked about the defense of the gospel. We're talking about a man that used to go into houses and arrest people that were Christians. He would go in, Bible uses the word wrecking havoc. In the churches, arresting and hailing them for preaching the gospel. But when he got saved, you know what he started doing? Defending the gospel, furthering the gospel. He changed teams. It's a sign you've left Egypt. It's gonna be obvious by who you defend. Get real nervous about a so-called Christian that defends the world on anything because they are wrong on everything. They're not right about anything. I can't think of a single agenda or a plank on their platform. I can't think of a single philosophy or an idea that the world has that's even remotely biblical. Not one. And I get real nervous around somebody that says they're a Christian and they defend Egypt. He defended the children of God and slew the Egyptian. Come on now, I feel a little preach coming on. We'll say a word. We'll say a word. Fighting all by yourself. Slinging your sword. Fighting. I mean, you're doing everything you can to fight the Egyptians off. And so-called Christians are standing off to the side saying, well, I think he needs to check his spirit. He needs to check his attitude. I guarantee you there were soldiers standing on the hill that day when David was running towards Goliath. I guarantee you there was some super spiritual bozo standing on that hill saying, well, he seems a little zealous to cut that guy's head off today. Well, you had 40 days to do it your way and didn't. What am I saying? I'm saying that you can tell who's left Egypt by what they defend. Quit making excuses for the world. They're wrong. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him. Boy, I saw that yesterday and it just blessed me all over. Look at me at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, look at this. Chapter 11, verse number 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
Leaving Egypt will be obvious by who you disown. I need a drink of water for this point right here. You know what he said? This is what he said to the woman that had nourished him for 40, the Bible says nourished him. For 40 years, you're not my mother. And I am not your son. Don't call me your son. I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did he do? He walked out of the palace and he disowned the whole crowd. Well, that'd go over real well in most camp meetings today where they'll talk about just, you just need to love. You just need to love them. You just need to love them. But they're Egyptians. I got to be careful that I don't get identified with somebody that I don't want to be identified with. Why is it this crowd is so quick to identify and love on the sinners and the Egyptians? But they get the cold feet. They draw back when it comes to identifying with the people of God and the church. And they're so afraid. Somebody's going to say, well, you're peculiar. Well, yeah, God's people are supposed to be peculiar people, zealous of good works. Pick your team. Pick your side. But you can't be sons of both, Pharaoh and Jesus Christ at the same time. You can't be. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Don't call me that. I don't want nothing to do with her. He left Egypt. The Bible said he forsook Egypt in verse number 27. That's the words it used. He forsook Egypt. Leaving Egypt will be obvious by who you defend. It will be obvious by who you disown. Thirdly, verse 25 Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, it'll be obvious by what you decide. It's your decision. He made a choice. He made a choice. He could have been in the palace enjoying all of the wealth and all of the comforts. I mean, he had it all. He had everything you could imagine. Unlimited resources. Are y'all getting this? He was in the palace. He was a son of the king. He was a son of the king's daughter. He had access to anything and everything. He walked away from it and chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. That's an indication you're leaving Egypt by what you decide. It's up to you. And can't nobody make you do it. Can't nobody go drag you out of the palace kicking and screaming to identify with God's people, that's a decision and a choice that you've got to make, young people. You can have Egypt or you can have the afflictions of God's people, but you can't have both at the same time. We've got a lot of people trying to do that, and it's not going to work. Mm, mm, mm. Man, I wish I had time to preach all this. Number four, write this down. Leaving Egypt will be obvious by what you discontinue. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Pleasures of sin. What a statement. It's pleasure in sin for a season. There is a way, it seemeth right unto a man. 
But the end thereof are the ways of death. You'll never hear a pastor shift that tell you, young people, that fornication's not fun. If it wasn't fun, people wouldn't do it. It's the, it's the, it's the after effects. It's that sin against your own body and that guilt and those scars and unwanted pregnancies and the shame and the disgrace that you've got to live with the rest of your life. That's the part that's not fun. Apparently drink, I've never drunk, I've never tasted alcohol, but apparently sitting around with all your friends and drinking alcohol is apparently it's fun. I, I, I don't know, I've never done it, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm, 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 just gonna, I'm just gonna throw that out there. Maybe for a season, when you're standing there and you're taking the selfies. All these girls with their trout pout. Maybe it's fun for a season. But then when you're drunk and you're broke and you're the victim of some kind of a, a gang rape or who knows what else. Or you're in a drunk driving situation where you're wrapped around a tree and they're carting your body off on a, on a gurney to the hospital. That's not fun anymore. Maybe the sneaking off behind the building and smoking, maybe that's fun, but the emphysema and the lung cancer and all that, that's not fun. See, when you leave Egypt, you've got to make a decision. I'm going to stop doing some things. The pleasures of sin no longer appeal to me. I'm walking away. You say, my goodness, buddy. You didn't bump your head. You're choosing affliction over the pleasures of sin. That's exactly what it says. Choosing affliction with the people of God. Look at verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. What a statement. What a statement. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Slaves, slaves getting nothing. Not even getting the, the, the straw to make the bricks with. Come on now. Only the devil would make you make bricks and not even give you the ingredients. <laughs> Build me a city, Pharaoh says to the world. Jesus says, I'm going to go build you a city. Come on now. Come on, come on. Think long term. The pleasures of sin right now, the immediate or the long term blessings of God... I'll take the blessings of God over the treasures of Egypt any day. But you can't have it and have Egypt too. I'm out of time. Lord, we ask you this morning to take this message as scattered as it was, as thrown together as it felt like it was. God, I pray that you'll take this message and speak to hearts. There may be a young person sitting in this service. There may be a mama, a daddy right now in this service that needs to get up from their pew and get in the altar and make their mind up, they're going to leave Egypt. Today is going to be the day they grow up. Today is the day that they are going to come of years and make a decision. I'm going with God. 
Maybe there's some parents in here this morning that God spoke to your heart about your children. And God wants you to take your parenting up a notch. Maybe God brought some things to your mind. Would you get in the altar this morning? Would you allow God this morning to speak to your heart? So many thoughts today, so many random thoughts God just put on my heart. Let me ask you this. Has it come into your heart yet? <clears throat> has it come into your heart yet? God's got to do it. While these are praying and you're not in a hurry, take your time. Folks are still coming. I wonder if there'd be somebody here this morning and say, Pastor Shiflet, I'm not even sure if I died right now I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure if I died right now that I'd open my eyes in heaven. I'm not sure of that, and I want you to pray for me. Would you slip up your hand? Anybody? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. Anybody anywhere? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm a born-again child of God. I hope I am. I think I am, but I don't know that for sure. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Anybody anywhere? Would there be somebody this morning say, Pastor Shiflet, I needed that message reminding me that I can't have God and the blessings of God and be used of God and enjoy the pleasures of sin in Egypt I can't do both at the same time. I needed this message. Would you slip your hand up? Hands are going up. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.